Hello and welcome to Happy Place with me, Fern Cotton. This is the show that helps piece together what makes you, you. Today I'm chatting to Dorno Porter. My mum died when she was 36. And one thing that I always had inside of me from being a teenager, as soon as I got to drama school, as soon as I got to the mainland and I was, like, free, I always felt like I was running out of time. That's slowed down significantly now. I I realise I'm not... I have got no more chance of running out of time than anybody else. Now I kind of pass that 36 age and realise I've already defied history, everything's okay. But that drove me. I think that was why I was so productive, so young and so determined. Just if, what if, what if the same thing happens? Dawn was on our TV screens for many, many years here in the UK, particularly on the BBC and Channel 4. She now lives in LA with her actor husband, Chris O'Dowd, their gorgeous kids and, of course, her cats. I say of course because her latest novel is called Cat Lady, which is a term that's generally used as a bit of an insult. Although not, I'm ha- I'm like out and proud as a cat lady. I love being a cat lady. I've never understood how being a cat lady could possibly be a bad thing. It's like the best thing ever. Anyway, that stereotype is something Dawn digs into in this book, as well as looking at mother figures, both who we look to as that nurturer and how we act as mothers ourselves. And I've really loved reading this book so much. This chat did end up centering a lot around the grief of losing a pet because it's something both Dawn and I have experienced very recently and it can be pretty hard to know when and where you're allowed to express that mourning and to who. So I think we both appreciated having a fellow cat lover to share stories with. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalised card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, here it is, two mad cat ladies chatting. to go Dorno Porter slurping tea sorry <laughs> as soon Slurp. as you said as soon as you said is everyone ready to go I just <laughs> decided that was the moment that I would drink my tea it's very relaxed we can slurp throughout okay, this <laughs> very informal chat it's all good I'm so glad we're getting to see each other in real life because we've we don't get to do this very much no. actually very often and we started our friendship as pen pals essentially I just did a shoot and I was telling the makeup artist about it. She's like, do you know Fern? And I was like, yes, but we met it. I can't remember how it started. I think we were on I one can't. of those big group emails. Yes, we were. Sent we were. And then one of us went rogue. I think it was probably me and asked you something. And then we started just writing these epically emotional. Epic. We need to bring that back, actually. I know, we do. Because it's now gone on to WhatsApp, which is obviously quicker and whatever. But our emails were indeed epic. And I think probably um, forged and helped by the fact we had both had a baby at a similar time at that point. So I would often be sort of breastfeeding at three in the morning, (laughs) emailing you at the same time and you'd be in the States dealing with stuff in the afternoon. And it was just a really nice 
bond over us not having a clue what we were doing. I know. It was lovely. We should bring it back. I think yeah. it all kind of drifted away. My communication during the pandemic became very selective because it's like you had to keep in touch with certain people more like family more so than I would normally and a lot of my kind of contact with friends in the UK just drifted away a bit felt really awful about it and actually you're on that list of people that I felt <laughs> bad about but now there's no excuse and we should bring it back but yeah, somewhere in the back. depths of our email are some really really like beautifully written yes. <laughs> emotional emails that we sent each other telling each other everything everything and it's I think so also lovely. because you are such a brilliant writer I probably put a bit more time and effort and looked at like the punctuation <laughs> and the phrases that I was using <laughs> to try and deliver some sort of decent offering but it was it was so nice and then obviously we've been able to meet up over the years and see each other but it's really good to be able to sit here with you today as you're in the UK for a short period promoting this wonderful book that you've written which obviously you knew I would love because it's called Cat Lady yes and I am indeed that um we should talk about cats first of all all day all day you've got two cats now is that right I currently have two rescues called Myrtle and Boo so they're about one and a half no they're about two now a brother and sister oh sweet before them I had a Siamese cat on her own and when you have a cat on their own they're so especially when it's a Siamese so dependent on you she was so emotional when you get two cats they kind of look after themselves a bit so it's a different relationship it's a lot less stressful I'm not constantly worried about them when I left the house I would go away and someone was um, looking after Lulu for me I would like she's going to piss all over their bed she's just like gonna howl through the night she yeah. sounds like someone's being murdered and it was just always so dramatic and these guys are just so easy do you know what simon oh our stop i cat, can't get over this cat this cat him. he is essentially a human in a cat outfit like him. he's not a cat he's a human he pissed on the sofa for the first time or we don't know if it was him it could have been another cat that had come through the cat flap but you cannot get the smell out. It no, is impossible. I don't know what we're going to do about it. Like, do we just have to buy a new sofa? Because it's that embedded have in you the used fabric. The orange spray. Orange, yeah, no, it's awful. It it's really awful. I couldn't go. smell it by the end. She pissed everywhere, this cat. That's a sign of a true cat woman. <laughs> I know. Like, Chris would just be like, oh, that damn cat. I knew I had coronavirus when I couldn't smell the cat pee on the sofa. And Chris <laughs> was saying it was the worst one he'd ever smelled. He was going mad. And I like had my face against this sofa and I was like, nah, I definitely got COVID. Yeah. yeah. It's a real horrible, pungent, it's musty. It, it won't go. I don't know what to do about it. But I think you almost post more pictures of cats than I do on Instagram, which is saying something. Well, I, I have this kind of rule I don't post pictures of my kids. Same. And so every time my cat does something cute, you could tell if I did post pictures of my kids, my, that would just be all my Instagram yeah. feed was. And that's why I had to set that rule right at the start because I knew that I would be one of those people. And I actually quite like other people's kids on Instagram. I, I find it quite cute, but I just decided not to do my own. But I'm almost making up for it with the cats. Yeah. Yeah. But I just find them so funny. They're so funny. They're so brilliant. I posted a picture of Simon at the weekend sort of lying like a human it's, with his legs open, balls out, just very content. It's incredible. I know. People actually messaged me to say, have you seen the picture <laughs> of Simon? It's <laughs> like, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> oh, I love that we're cat ladies together. It's so good. But it is such a beautiful, a beautiful book. And obviously it deals with this tight relationship between Mia and her cat, mm -hmm. but also pet grief yes which we've certainly not covered on this podcast i maybe have shared a bit of my own story because i had two beautiful old girls who i had for 21 years who were 
just woven into like every narrative that had been a part of my life from yeah. the age of 20 to 41. And they both died within 12 months this year and last year. And especially when the first cat went to Lula, I was absolutely floored by it. And it isn't just the fact that you miss them and the love that they bring that is just omnipresent, but it's also all the stuff that you've been through together and you think, oh my God, what have I done in 21 years? And they've been loyally by my side through all of it, seeing the laughter and the crying and everything in between. It's very strange flavour of grief. It really is. It's exactly how I felt when Lulu died. So I got her in my early 20s and lost her when I was 41. And I just felt that was my entire adult life. Yeah. That she has been there. I've sobbed into her until she is soaking wet. I have, like, she's been the runt of all my friends' jokes. I've turned up to parties with her. I've travelled the world with her. I went everywhere with this cat. I was like, Lulu and I were a duo she was in all my old tv shows that I made on the BBC she was like just a part of me and when she died I mean you'll know this when you've got two kids as well and other pets it's 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 easier because your entire life isn't focused on that cat like it would have been if she'd have died in my 20s I don't know I think I'd still just be sitting in the same spot but you do look at the life around you and kind of understand that it's you know it's the end of an era but I really felt that I really felt like me as a single person that was it that was the last thing that was clinging on of the life before I met my husband yeah (laughs) it's just a real chapter close and like you say so my mum and dad had this dog Will for 12 years And because, you know, me and my brother are older and we've moved out, my dad and Wilf were best, best mates. And it absolutely just, yeah, completely floored him. If you mention Wilf now, he'll still get like wet eyes or sort of glistening eyes. And if he mentions I've got a new dog now, it took him about six years to get sort of to the position where he could get a new dog. dog It's so hard. But every time we go, oh, look at Wilma doing that, he goes, oh, Wilf wouldn't have done that. And he has to mention (laughs) Wilf. But it's so, it is, you know, I think people that don't have pets don't necessarily understand it. So you do feel a bit like, who do I talk to about this? Because I felt absolutely devastated when Tallulah went and I thought I can't really tell certain people in my life about this because I just think it's a cat get over it I know. but it's such a big deal it's huge, huge. My, my friends really rallied around when Lulu died and then our beloved dog Potato died really suddenly earlier this year and Chris would be like your dad absolutely heartbroken I had friends calling in tears that really like really sent a shockwave through our entire social group, which was really sweet. But when Lilu died, it was a little less support. Some of my best friends turned up and like left things on that we're still very much in lockdown, left things on the doorstep, and I was like, thank you so much. But you definitely feel that somewhere in the wider world you've got not got so long to be upset about a cat. And I think it's because more people love dogs than cats. Mm. And there's more people who just don't really understand cats. So you just, there's less kind of sympathy around you. Yeah. You've got to be a cat person You've to get to it. You've got to be a cat person to get it. You do. <laughs> Which luckily we both are. Yeah. And also Elizabeth Day, who's a massive cat person. Yeah. She was the one person that sent me a beautiful little framed picture of Tallulah when she died. And I was like, oh, she really gets it. She sent me a bunch of flowers from her and Huxley when Potato died. Why is she so lovely? I she don't is, know. She's beyond. We could literally dedicate this whole podcast Let's. to Elizabeth Day. She is <laughs> She's just one wonderful. hell of a woman. She's yeah. amazing. And as well as looking at pet grief, it also also breaks down stereotypes and there's obviously the cat lady stereotype but there's other stereotypes in the book that you also want to get beneath and interestingly I'm sure it's in this copy as well as the copy I had that was the 
not fancy hardback copy. The first page says, it does. Everyone is playing a part. Yes. And that really got me thinking because, you know, we all play roles in our life and it will be different for everybody, whether it's mum, wife, friend, the good girl, the, the bad person, the one that leans on people, whatever. We've got all these roles and dynamics in our life. And I wonder, can you... Can you differentiate between those roles you play and when you are just purely dawn? And what are those moments where you're not playing a role? I do think the older you get, all the roles that you play blend into one. Mm. I think when you're, when you're, especially when you, well, in, when you work in the kind of industry that we do, you have a on for work role that you play. And then we had this moment where we had to become mother and you're playing a very different role. You're clinging on to what you were before and you do certain things. You know, the first time that you walk around the park pushing your baby in a pram. Weirdest thing ever. You just want to shout, I'm the nanny, it's not mine. It feels so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. I felt really obscure doing that. Like, what? what is this? This is the weirdest thing to be doing ever. And I felt like I was playing a real part when I first became Ooh. a mum. And then suddenly you realise that you don't need to play the part of being a mum. The way that you are a mum is just fine. And you can be the person that you were before with a baby and everything doesn't have to change. I had that but- the first time I went to the school gates on the school run. Like, I'm a mum on a school I'm I can't be old enough to be a mum. I mean, I was I well old enough, but <clears throat> mentally I felt I was absolutely playing a role in that moment. I still feel that when it comes to school stuff sometimes. I still feel like um, my kids have just started to play soccer at the weekends. Football. Soccer. Sorry. Soccer. <laughs> um, but I still feel... I'm, by the way, I'm way more into it. I thought I'd sit there going really resenting that I'd lost my Saturday morning. I am screaming, <laughs> screaming for my kid to score. I don't know who, who I've become. That's not a role I'm playing. That is something deep inside yes. me that's being unleashed on that soccer pitch. But I did for the first couple of times I came, I was like, here I am being the mum with the snacks at the football. Th- and I just felt really strange. But um, I think, in answer to your question, when am I most dawn? I am most myself when I am in some sort of social situation where I'm cooking food whilst parenting and being sociable at the same time whilst really? wearing a caftan. <laughs> that's how I see so myself. Specific. Um, like, you know, that's how I think of myself as being like, that's me at my most, me in my house with my friends, my kids running around, preparing food that brings people together. That's That's kind of, that's me at my most me, where I'm, there's no performance happening. If I need to scream at a kid to shut the fuck up, then I will. If I need to, like, tell so I tell my, my friends, Chris is going to get me a red rope that goes across the kitchen um, to the island bit because I'm always getting so angry when people come into the kitchen. Right? I don't want to be rude to my friends, but I, like, snap like an angry Jack Russell. Get out! And then so he's going to get me a, if you know, he's not that. down rope. But I'm so, I love that scenario. And I'm like, this is the moment that I've been building up to my whole life is to be in my kitchen with people I love and lots of kids running around. I love that. That's me at my most me. I find that so interesting because I think I'm probably the absolute opposite. I think I'm the most me when I'm completely on my own. And I love the people in my life. I obviously love my kids, my husband, my mates. But I do still feel like there is a tiny sliver of role playing in bits of it or like maybe that's because I'm uncertain as to how I'm meant to do things a lot of the time you're such a brilliant host though I am a good host and I love being a host but I do feel like there is still an element of performance whereas if it is just me like walking in the woods or listening to music or draw like painting that is actually probably the one where I feel like I am absolutely me and time goes and I don't 
feel like. I think, yeah, being around other people, there's always an element of an expectation maybe or right. a role playing. So I find that really fascinating. Well, also, to be honest with you, as you're saying that, maybe there is and maybe that's where I'm comfortable. Yeah. You know, I feel like my... Um, that is a part of who I am to like enjoy that part of the um, playing the part, I suppose. It's I love being alone, too. My job wouldn't exist if I didn't. And I, you know, I really treasure those moments. But but maybe I maybe I am comfortable with playing the part of, you know, mother, host, social person, bringing people together. It makes me feel proud to be in that space where all those people are in our house and we've created this group. I love it. You know, when when you. Because in LA, there's lots of people who kind of come and go. So we have a bit of an open house on Sunday. So whoever's here, just come over. And when you see friendships develop between people oh, who I met at our house, that. it makes me so happy. Oh, I love that. I know. And other people's kids coming, suddenly getting on with my kids and my kids welcoming them into the gang. It makes me feel like we've created this wonderful home. And that makes that just feels really good. Yeah, that's gorgeous. And I guess also because, like you say, your work can be... <clears throat> quite solitary and you know similarly if I'm researching for a podcast or writing or well sometimes even recording stuff I'm completely on my own and I really like it but I do feel a need to counterbalance that with something else and sing other humans because I could bury myself away otherwise and yeah. just be on my own and I've heard, I've read articles you've written where I don't know which book it was but you were sort of 10 days into having not seen a human yeah. or fresh air and were like oh I think I need to go outside I can do that very easily yeah. as well by the way I can I can I'm very good at being alone and I do really like it and especially when I'm writing I could be I can't remember what book that was I think it was really early on it was definitely before I had kids or maybe it's happened a few times but I remember I think it was when I was writing paper airplanes in a house in Bermondsey when we were just a little kind of hop back to London for a year or so and it was that kind of time I don't think I've left the house. I'm like waking up at seven in the morning and I'm writing and then I'm na I napped every day. <gasps> I used Gorgeous. to nap every day before I had kids. It was this real thing that I'd write all morning and then about two o'clock I would sleep for an hour oh. to an hour and a half. And then I'd write some more and then, you know, whatever, watch, have a TV dinner with Chris. But um, I could while away days of not seeing anybody. The pandemic, really, the, the bit that I found easiest, weirdly, was not necessarily seeing anybody. I did quite like that. So I'm, it's, I'm, I'm all right in both situations, but I think I'm, I'm better served to myself when I'm, when I'm with people. Mm. I, think I'm, I, I think I'm, you can see, you, well, life improves when I'm surrounded by people. I can definitely, I'm not a very sad person, but I can definitely go to dark places when I'm on my own. So it's good to be kind of drawn out and when you go to those dark places is there anything that is particularly prevalent that is drawing you into that place is it habitual wow. I mean I don't know it's like I'm one of those people if I spend lots of time alone I I really like to cry I don't know if you do that but I like to put on a bit of Lewis Capaldi yeah. and have a wee have a good old cry yeah I like walking around with I listen to another Ola, a Ludovico in Audi in my headphones and I walk around the woods and weep. I love it's it. brilliant. And I like to look at myself in the mirror. Do you? <laughs> I do sometimes look in the mirror and oh, I'm like... Oh, I would like, cringe my head off yeah, if I did that. Yeah, I look that. at myself in the mirror and I have a good old cry like I'm in some horrible rom-com where I just got dumped. That's so good. And then I cuddle my cats. And I don't really know what I'm crying at. So I don't know if there's ever a specific thing, but I really like those moments. But it's so healthy. But it's also so performative. Like, I'm, you know, it, I secretly wish that I was being filmed and that someone was watching. <laughs> That's so good. You're in your own little room. Come all on your own. I really should have done Big Brother. You really should yeah. have done Big Brother. You would have aced it. Oh, my God. 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This character Mia is also incredibly controlling and we find out that that is due to the fact that she had a very chaotic childhood, which again I thought was so interesting sort of looking at people that I know in my life but don't know very well and the judgments that I've made or even just assumptions that I've created or even it's probably not even that deep. I probably just haven't tried to understand why they are the way they are because of their childhood have just gone oh they're that kind of person they're an angry person or they're just always so overly bubbly and it's actually a bit too much without going oh yeah I wonder why that is I thought that was really interesting I think we are more so than we ever want to admit a product of our early years and for some people, they can't think of anything significant as to why they are the way they are. And you see that as well. Like, it doesn't have to be a big reaction to something. But I'm such a product of my um, of my childhood. And so Mia is. We, we had, she's got a similar scenario where her mum died. But that's kind of the similarity over. And one sister, her dad was awful. And she was kind of abandoned emotionally and rejected. And just lived a life of that spurred on a kind of early kind of 20s of total chaos and mayhem and then she has managed to get her life in check by bringing order into it and order looks like a good job a mortgage a husband a stepson and all of these things make her very functional and that she can live a life that doesn't involve chaos because she's got all these things to do and bit by bit you take those things away and her natural disposition is to be chaotic and all over the place I mean it's very fun to write that so fun yeah so fun like the dismantling of her life is yeah. kind of awful but I could sense that would be a really interesting thing to dive into yeah so you're saying there you know you you have that awareness that you're a product of your childhood mm-hmm. which obviously you've written and talked about a lot your mum dying when you were only a tiny child and you grew up with your auntie and uncle and I've seen you write about the fact that's made you very independent yeah what, what else do you think that your childhood has informed about who you are today um I think it gave me a rebellious spirit I think you live a certain way when you don't have to worry about what your mother would say. There is something that other people, especially young girls, are considering that I didn't consider. So I was naughty and I think quite fun. Um, but I had, I it made me, um, I didn't have many ties to cut. I was, I was free. All I had to do is get off Guernsey and then I could just go and like grab the world and just do what I wanted. So I felt that very much. And then when I, when I left Guernsey and moved to um, first uh, Marbella randomly, but then went up to Liverpool. I I wasn't desperately missing home, and I remember like living with people for the first time, and how often my housemates would be like something went wrong, and they'd be like, "Oh, I've got to call my mum," and I'm like, "What? Why would you call your mum and tell her about this board? What? Don't tell your mum that. Like, what are you doing? I just didn't have that relationship in my life. My auntie is the love of my life, but we we have a very different kind of relationship to what a mother and daughter might have. Um, she's there for me, but it's not something that it's not a daily. You know, I don't rely on it in the same way that someone might their mum. I found the way that people were talking about their mothers and the way they kept in touch. I was like, oh god, that was when I really realised, wow, 
because I'd been brought up on Guernsey where everyone knew my story. Had to get there and start telling people. It took me months to tell people that my mum had died. Like, it's like, how do I tell people? I'm just suddenly realising what huge news this is. I haven't had to tell anyone this for, well, 10 years. But I definitely felt there was also a part of me that was like, well, I'm glad I don't have those ties to home. I'm off now. I'm unleashed. I'm done. And I quite enjoyed that feeling. But I, I hadn't really had anything to compare it to before. Yeah, that was your normal. Yeah. And it's really interesting hearing you talking about the relationship with your auntie because, you know, there'll be plenty of people out there that have, they might still have a mum, but have a, a mother figure, someone in their life. And, and you sort of gently explore that again in this sort of stepmother role. Yes. And I loved how you, you talked about that relationship between Mia and her stepson, with it being, you know, she was like very loving towards her stepson and, and, and confessed her to her love to her stepson. And as a stepmom myself, it was like, oh, how wonderful to have like a positive yes. stepmom story rather than the evil stepmother who ruins everything or is there to kind of create havoc. It's, it's really beautiful and it's really special. And I, I guess those relationships are harder to define, whether it's your auntie or a step-parent. Yeah. It's... Um, there are sort of less rules, I guess. It's it's how you feel as an individual. And obviously your auntie took that role on in the way that, that she felt was the most appropriate. And you've still got this beautiful bond today. Well, we've got closer and closer. It was harder back then. Now, I mean, this is the thing. Now I just, I do have a mother. My auntie is just my mother. But back then it would have been harder. They had already raised two boys who were grown up and had left so they were much older than all the other parents in our class they must have felt I never had any sympathy for how self-conscious that made them feel when they were turning up to school nights and you know being much older than everybody else also some of the judgment that they would get like if Jane and I did anything wrong it was almost like a oh well you know the mother died and they live with the aunt and uncle not I'm, I kind of feel that Jane and I would have been very similar and naughty anyway because we both had we were just those kind of girls but um Jane's my older sister but um I didn't have much sympathy for fun look we've got kids I mean you've got stepkids as well we've got kids can you imagine when Rex and Honey leave, and then for some reason you get two like prepubescent girls. Yeah, I had no sympathy for what raising children was like. So every time I would have moments where I'd be disappointed in the grown-ups around us. Firstly, no sympathy <clears> towards <throat> the fact that they were grieving; they'd lost their sister. I had no sympathy for the fact that they'd raised two children and thought they were free. I am longing to be able to go on holiday without my kids. <laughs> and the day that they leave and mm. you can, you know, I'm, I love my kids more than anything, but I'm definitely one of those mums who is like, but isn't it going to be great when, they, when they've flown the nest and we can just, you know, get back to us? They thought they'd reached that point in life and they're travellers. They are party throwers. They are like adventurous people. And then they just got back into the days of the school run, seeing two girls through puberty, two devastated girls through puberty, all that comes with that, so dramatic. And it took me a long time to appreciate what they had done. Because as a, as a young girl, you don't you don't have any emotional intelligence. But you're a kid. We're, yeah. By default, we're narcissistic as kids. And that's how we exactly. grow. And there were moments when it was really hard. And that house was really tense and uncomfortable. And at the time, I just blamed. And now I look back on and I'm like, oh, God how I would have done it differently if I'd have known the sacrifice that they had made for me and my sister. So my relationship with them now is very different and a lot better than it was. 
yeah, somehow we're all still talking. Yeah, but I love you, them. But have you talked about those early years? Have you ever sort of delved into that with your auntie? We kind of do. And um, we kind of do talk about it a lot more. Yeah, and we have lovely conversations about it now. And they they were very happy to do it. You know, they did it. and But they find it really hard financially, like emotionally. Their life, everything changed. All their plans couldn't happen. And, um, and I think that's very clear now and we can have an open conversation about that because now I'm a mum and I understand what that would mean but you know I'm going over there on um, Sunday night just to spend a night without my children with them I actually get to sit with them because you know my auntie's 86 next month when the kids are there I don't get to sit with her and like just absorb her and so I will be able to do that on Sunday and that's when these that's when we get the photo albums out and we start to get really deep into the lovely conversations and drink a lot of wine fair play to them both that's gonna be yeah it's great lovely I know it's lovely and with that independence that your childhood brought do you feel that that's made you independent on a practical level or an emotional level or maybe it's a bit of both well I tell you one thing that definitely drove me is My mum died when she was 36. So I had my first baby when I was 36. And it's, it really struck me then to think, God, my life feels like it's just beginning. Like adulthood is just beginning. And one thing that I always had inside of me from being a teenager, as soon as I got to drama school, as soon as I got to the mainland and I was like free, I always felt like I was running out of time. I always felt I've got, I was, I mean, I must've been such a pain in the ass back in the early days of my kind of work in this industry where I was just blinkered like I will make it I will I will um I would put myself in any room where I think someone could further me you know in this and get and I was very much like that which is kind of mortifying now but hey look at me now so (laughs) I think it works but also just don't be an asshole um (laughs) but I I that's slowed down significantly now I I realize I'm not I have got no more chance of running out of time than anybody else. Now I kind of passed that 36 age and realised I've already defied history, everything's okay. But I, that that drove me. I think that was why I was so productive, so young and so determined. Just if, what if, what if the same thing happens? Which I don't think is a ne- negative thing, especially when you want to do the kind of things that you know I wanted to do. It gave me a real, that and the Spice Girls, gave me a real fire in my belly to just go and, grab what I wanted and so I'm I'm grateful for it and this is what you can have you know my mum died I think it's 36 years ago I'm terrible at maths but I think it was this year where I realized that she'd been gone as long as she'd been alive which is quite significant but I just remember thinking that um all the things that it made me do that could have been seen as negative I'm I'm grateful for who I am and just thankful that my life carried on in a positive way because for a lot of people obviously it can crush you and I think I was just at that age just at that very precious age where it was devastating but you're young enough to build it into who you are rather than it completely destroy what you are Mm, yeah and I guess as you get older you can unpick the past a bit more with some more clarity and understanding and maybe like you say less fear and and get to grips with it rather than it um you feeling out of control with it, I guess, or feeling like you have no other choice, that you have to go down a certain path. um, And how is your ambition today? Because I think, you know, one of the reasons why I love what you do and I love what you do on Instagram and I love following you and being your friend is that I think we've both probably come to the same conclusion at similar times in our life that I certainly had that urgency in my 20s that I wanted to, I needed to 
be on these TV shows and for them to be the biggest TV shows and had to be the biggest and the best and all of this stuff that made no sense to me at all. But I still was just walking towards that constantly and quite painfully at times. Whereas I couldn't give a fuck about any of it now. Like I, I genuinely couldn't give a shit. But that's the privilege of all that hard work. That's yeah. that's where that's where you can land when in this industry where you start that way. Um but no, I love that about you too. I was saying on the way here to my pub sizzlers, we were talking about you and my blog that I have now. And I just think what Fern has done and what I think I've done is we found our audience where we can do the thing that we love and we give it to the people who enjoy it yeah. rather than just casting this huge web and hoping that some people grab onto you and like like you and putting yourself I think the internet just changed everything you know we just got that last bit before the internet and it was you didn't just feel like you were just dangling off a cliff all the time just yeah. hoping people would like you it's exhausting yeah and so to get to a point where I write for my readers. When I gain new ones, that's fantastic. But I write for the people who enjoy my work. I set up a blog where you have to subscribe and pay. And I did that deliberately because I'm not interested in writing for people, especially because that's quite unguarded, the writing I do there. I don't want to just shove that on the internet. No. I want people who respond well to me and enjoy what I have to say, who I might have some kind of connection with, to read that work. And it's the most wonderful little community of people. And... It it feels much safer and absolutely lovely. If you told mm. me that I was happy with a small audience in my late 20s, I'd have been, no, Safe. I want to be the biggest name in the industry. If I'm not walking down, like, through Covent Garden, my name's in light somewhere, I'm not going to be happy. And, oh, my God, like, no, no. that's not the goal. Well, because you also, you know, realise <laughs> if you get the taste of any of that that doesn't touch the side, you know, yeah. it doesn't actually, it's just ephemeral and sort of meaningless in a sense, unless you love the work. And I think you're right. It's I feel the same. I feel so lucky that I get to do this podcast. I, I've never taken a single day of either recording or researching it or listening to the edits or it going out for granted because I absolutely love it. And it feels safe is the word for me. It feels safe. I can be completely honest, but with boundaries. Yeah. Because I know that the people that are listening like the subject matters or are interested or want to learn alongside me because that's all this is for me is just like yeah. learning about people and I'm not trying to impress anyone or it's, it's so nice I remember when heaven. people started in the TV industry we'd go to meetings and they'd start to talk about your brand mm. and I would just go oh god what, what? Are, you talk- what are you talking about me like a like tube of toothpaste <laughs> I just can't my brand I don't know and then they'll be like right so then they'd show you like printouts and like PowerPoint presentations ah. of all these images and you and your brand and we're going to create this and we're going to do that. And I'm like, I know that's going to exist, but I don't want to be a part of it. But we've almost kind of done it ourselves. Like you've become synonymous with, you know, the words happy place. You've created your own brand, but someone hasn't done it for you. And no. it's just so authentic in you, which is why it feels so lovely to go to work every day and do it. It does. Yeah. I feel insanely lucky, insanely lucky. <clears throat> and... You know, I think a large part of that is also getting to, you know, I feel the the, the sort of privilege is being able to express myself because I think I'd feel really clipped if I couldn't. And it doesn't have to be to a lot of people, like you've mm. said, I just need to express myself. And obviously one of the, the clearest ways you can do that is writing because yes. you have the time and um, a lot of the time the hindsight to sort of sit and really fine tune things and 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 get things to exactly how you want them to be. And I loved reading your book, Life in Pieces, which obviously took us through the lockdowns that we mm-hmm. were experiencing, that first year of lockdowns. 
because you could tell it was just this honest account where you were sort of urgently writing. You needed to get this stuff out. I also needed to get paid. (laughs) You also needed to get paid. Let's cut to the chase. It was great for many reasons. But it was a really... um, a really lovely sort of demonstration, again, that diaries are really helpful. Like, it really helps. Even if you're writing just for you, it doesn't have to be that it's going to have mass consumption afterwards. You can just sit and see what's going on in your life. Have you kept up a diary since then? Well, I do it through my blog. So my blog is essentially, um, you know, kind of averaging on three posts a week, which is... I Life in Pieces was the most kind of intimate about my family and behind closed doors I've ever been. And that was just so about what everyone was having this collective experience and it was quite nice to open up a bit a bit so I'm a bit less open about the kids now and our daily life but I do I'm really enjoying that I am logging life and I so I do kind of keep a bit of a diary on this blog and I love it I love it it's you you think something something tiny happened that day and then you'll sit down to write and you realize you've got 500 words to write on that thing and what I love about writing is it really does come from inside you. There will always be, even now, somewhere in my brain that I don't even know, there's some sort of editor happening. There's, you know, there's a thing that is, you know, constructing sentences well and making sure that I'm presenting myself well. With writing, I feel like it's even less than that. It, it really comes from your soul. It's why writing will always be the most beautiful art form. It's just so intimate. And I, I really enjoy that. And I, I think the older that I've got, the less I've kind of wanted to share about myself, life and pieces aside, because, well, like I just said, I needed the paycheck. But um, <laughs> but I but I had no interest, like we said before, of me writing about my day for loads of people to comment on. Um, but when you know that people are interested and it sparks lovely conversations, it's really lovely. Yeah, it's really yeah. connective. And I think you're right, it does... Um cut out that sort of I was going to say middle man voice but we're women middle voice yeah. of I shouldn't say that you should, maybe you should say this in, in this way it's like Julia Cameron she came on the podcast you know doing the morning pages and just writing freely and sometimes you go bloody hell what is all this stuff that's just come out of me like it's a surprise yeah it's almost coming from a part of you that's like you're not even aware of it's so it's, it's so a, powerful it's funny thing with writing um, I've never done the morning pages but I do treat my Patreon blog a bit like that and if anybody listening is like oh they want to write but they're just not you know being productive this is such a annoying thing for a writer to say but the more you write the more you will write so that unlocking yourself with your morning pages is a real discipline that I never did but I when I'm on a deadline I have to keep writing my blog because it will make my writing more productive Mm. it's something that once you've unlocked your writing voice and you can let it free flow, you'll see yourself clearer on the page than you ever will in any other medium. That's mm. just a fact. It's And it's really lovely to do that. So even if you're not a writer, to keep a diary and to read it at the time of writing or to go back to it, you're like, God. And also you're always quite impressed by how kind of deep and thoughtful you are. <laughs> God, I'm such a deep <laughs> person. Yeah, God, that was really meaningful. I'm... I didn't realise that I had a like, good take on that. Such a deep human, <laughs> my God. Um, I mean, obviously that book was, it was incredibly emotional for you to write at it points because you were going through not only collectively what we were all experiencing, but you'd lost your dear friend Caroline Flack you know, pretty much simultaneously with us all going into lockdown. Um, And you were having to explore this extreme grief with someone that you were not expecting to lose. Did the writing process help in any way? 
so much. And you also did. You sent the loveliest messages. So I always thank you for that. Mm. Um, I was a bit nervous to write about it. I was so angry with the media after Caroline died. And I thought, if me writing about it, am I just adding to that? And then I thought, no, this is like, we have to keep Caroline's name alive in all the right ways. And so I decided to write a section on grief. I mean, if you listen to the audiobook, I'm just, you can tell that I'm in pieces doing it. But it was incredibly therapeutic to get those words down. Grief is almost impossible to describe. There's all of these wonderful, beautiful analogies of how it feels. And you can come up with your own, but really it doesn't even touch the surface on describing what it feels like inside. It's a thunderstorm inside your body and you can't get it out. But it felt really, really good to get that down on paper. And on her one-year anniversary, I posted those pages on Instagram a year later and I still felt the same way. And you realise that it might get slightly more manageable, but that is always going to be there. And I think I always really admire people who can get down on paper a good representation of what they were feeling at the time. So it was trying to write it was um, very stopping, starting, questioning it, but just kept going. And a year later when I read it back, I was like, I'm really glad I've got that. I'm really glad that I have that because your my memory is physical. I remember being physical, falling to the ground, roaring, bawling, standing on street corners, shouting. Like it was I had a very very viscerally like tribal reaction to Caroline's death. And um and then on paper, I feel like I managed to like be just be a bit calmer. And um and so I'm glad I have that and I'm glad it exists and her mum read it and was really grateful for it and glad that it exists too so you know and at one point in the future I'd like to write about it again and see see how it feels but the thing is when you talk about it you're just taken back to the day when you write about it you'll just be taken back to the day so it's quite hard to kind of talk about it in a way that you've moved on because as soon as you start thinking about yeah, it it just feels equally as awful I think many of us and uh, you know lots of I mean I didn't know Caroline anywhere near as, as well as you did but obviously I'd met her tons of times over the years and many of us who had met her or friends with her or just work in this very strange industry although I feel like I'm on the peripherals these days but still in it um, I think we had hopes that things would change like Mm. this has to be this has to be the point where things change and they haven't no they haven't and it's just like what's this going to take for and it does seem still so specifically female skewed that women just get way more shit in the public eye than men do we see it again and again without the people behind the keyboards or whatever it is realizing that these are human beings i know i left twitter pretty quickly after that because i just what infuriated me was seeing the kind of hate and then immediately this oh my god and be kind be kind be kind and i was like I just didn't, I I think I'm so glad that the Be Kind hashtag exists and I think it's a lovely thing and I do think you see it, people saying it to people on, you know, Instagram and when someone said something, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but just you, people will be, oh, by the way, just be kind. You didn't need to write that. I do think that it's gone into social conscious a bit, but I, um, no, I don't think it's going to change. I don't know. I just keep thinking about like people who work in the offices of those tabloid newspapers are just people. There's young people who think this is their start in like their journey. I've got a career in Germany. Mum, I got the job. I'm working at the sun. And then I'm like, well, what do you, what is your job? Like, you're okay with that? And I, I just find that bizarre that it's human beings that you see this, a newspaper, you like, it's like it was just created, but it was created by actual 
living, breathing human beings. I just find it extraordinary. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, eventually print journalism just won't exist and then you're just in the hellhole of the internet. I know. So I don't know how it's ever going to get better. No, I, I don't. And I think, you know, you're right. The be kind hashtag is, you know, even if people were inauthentically typing those words out there, it, it is a message that needs to get out there on yeah. every level, whether it's people in the public eye or not. People that you just... Bump into in the street, the person that serves you a coffee, the person that cuts you up in the car. Like, yeah, we just all need to have more kindness and softness. And it's not always easy because we've all got shit going on. But yeah. the other person certainly doesn't deserve wh- whatever no. abuse you're sending them. I think you just always got to remember that you've got what you see of someone is 0.01% yeah. of their experience, of what they're experiencing in their life. And, you know, sometimes people are just dicks and you have a, like, a knee-jerk reaction, that's okay. But it, I just always try to wonder what's going on with somebody. And, you know, it's 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 hard. Oh, and there's, there's exceptions. Some people are just awful. But I just, I don't know, especially on social media, just give everyone a break. And you don't have to get, you don't have to get sucked into the fight. No. Nope. That's why I left it. Because I was like, why am I, firstly, why am I seeing this horrible fight between two people? Then why am I so tempted to say something? I don't need to and I just deleted it donated it to choose love and it was the best thing ever I just I haven't even poor Chris he's always it does make me a bit stupid I never know what's going on in the world but I um I was like whenever we watch anything whenever anything dramatic happens I'm just always like Chris what's Twitter saying and he's like (laughs) and he's having to give me like this Twitter rundown of what's going on in the world because sometimes it's quite interesting to see what a reaction is like when you know when Will Smith punches um, Chris Rock you want to know what Twitter's saying but still never enough to tempt me back on life is so much better away from it Instagram you can curate a lot easier you don't have to see anything you don't want to see and it's just generally a lot nicer I don't think I've tweeted I I'd sort of just haven't been on there not even I don't know like for years mm. and I, I probably have like one follower left I don't know I literally haven't been on there <laughs> I haven't in any interest but I do I'm same. I I do think Instagram can be connective yeah. and you can curate it more but I think people still do get sucked into those arguments wherever and it's interesting because I stand back quite often and think I just I haven't got the capacity for any more drama in my life. Yeah. Like I've had a lot of drama, don't want any more drama. There's obviously just the everyday drama of being a human and having kids and friends and family. Yeah. So when those things happen where there's like a social situation, not necessarily something very serious, it could be like two celebrities mm-hmm. having a fight and everyone's wading in. I think I don't know them. I don't know I them. Know. I don't know anything about them other than the public persona. Yeah. Why should I be on someone's side? Like, have a say? I honestly don't know. I haven't got an opinion. And I think that's the thing is like, and even if you have got an opinion, you don't have to weigh have in to, say it. to no. an aggressive situation. Because if you're walking down the street and you t- saw two people arguing, you wouldn't jump in. <laughs> you don't need to do it online either. You can be just an observer and you also don't have to absorb other people's negativity. You can just block or unfollow and just walk away Mm. but it triggers so much stuff from our past doesn't it or if there's a dynamic in our life where we feel disempowered out of control this is our moment to Mm -hmm. like grab the reins and take control and let out the anger but on someone that you don't know yes but I think you know as we've seen time and time again how detrimental that en masse lack of compassion can be is devastating and I I just I remain 
quietly hopeful that things will change for the better. Well, I just hope by the time, I like my fear is our kids on social media, I can't oh, bear I, it. No. I'm just hoping by the time our kids are old enough to have phones, which I mean, I'm going to give my kid a phone when he's 50. I've got, I just don't, I, I just don't want anything what to do with do? it. I don't know, but I do think, you know, the internet came very quickly and it's unregulated and certain areas are, are getting more regulated. And I'd like to think that they're going to work something out that will protect a little more, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my stepkids, I have to say, who are 17 and 20, are remarkably sensible with how they use it. Great. And even with social media, because I follow them, I'm pretty sure that's their accounts. There aren't any others. They could be, but they seem pretty chilled about it and posting here and there, but nothing obscene. And sometimes I think, oh, maybe I'm overly worrying and actually they're way more savvy than I would yeah. ever have been and am even now. I guess they're growing up with it, so it's yeah. going to become... You know, it's still a novelty to us old people. It really people. is. <laughs> In our forties, we're I like, do. ooh. I know. I do love it though. I do. I do love it. I mean, I'm on Instagram all the it time. It is very fun. Yeah. And you're so good on it. Thanks. You're like the most <laughs> honest, brilliant person on it. And then I go to bed every night, going, "Why did I say that?" <laughs> <laughs> no, more pictures of cats. More honesty. Yes. We love it. I'm so glad that we've got to spend this time together today and that we've got to chat. And thank you for writing a book that gave me just joy and escapism every night that I got into bed with it. So thank you. Thank you, sweetheart. Well, as Dawn said, she is on Instagram all the time. So if you're not already, do give her a follow. If only to see those gorgeous cats of hers. And her novel Cat Lady is available to buy now. Dawn, thank you so, so much for your time. It was just the best getting to have a catch up. And while you're on Instagram checking out Myrtle and Boo, you can also follow us at Happy Place Official too. Next week, I'll be introducing you to someone very special on the podcast. So make sure you're here for that by clicking the follow button on your podcast app. Until then, huge, huge thanks again to Dawn, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio and to you because you're ace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.